12 men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! to hope from out of heaven everyone this is the first episode we've got of 2024 i hope everyone's had a happy new year everyone here as usual uh, i've got caleb prince and uh, my brother brandon how is everyone good, uh, yeah, I, i've i've eaten two-thirds of a bag of haribo and i don't feel well i've got Your oreos oh, they're the custard ones they're not oreos oh they're the oh, best no. ones caleb don't that's, they're, they're no. just custard creams they're just custard they're creams so good. honestly brandon there's a, that's a really good choice honestly the, the banging yeah, I was gonna say I remember when me and Caleb were in fucking Italy, man. And mm. uh do you remember I ate those two packets of fucking Oreos in one sitting? Oh. <laughs> yeah. My shit was as fucking black as bleeding. It was scary, like, oh, man. Right. I am telling you. I I thought I was like bleeding internally the day. Well that's well that well that's any Turn... female listeners completely just switching off from the podcast because we've just heard oh, about Kyle and feces. I will also maintain that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being proud of a healthy bowel movement, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> All those Oreos. I don't think those two things go hand in hand. No, the point I was making is is the, the food colouring from the Oreos can stain your um, waste material. What? Anyway, speaking of waste material, how's everyone's uh, Christmas and New Year been? Oh, yeah, that <laughs> everyone have a good one? Uh, <laughs> we know mine, but we're not really uh, talking about any sort of... Um... Well, it's not really it was, Christmas and New Year, is same, it? I mean, same old, well, same was, old year, another year, right? We're all a year older. We're all supposed to be a bit wiser. I'm a little older. I'm, I'm a little wiser. I've got hair growing in places it never grew before. <laughs> I just spent just under six grand on rewiring my house. Oh, shit, yeah. Back I forgot now. you had so, that coming up. I'm so old. I'm getting excited about, like, new electricity in my house. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I think once you get to, like, near 30, that does kick in. Like, me and Kirsty got a new tumble dryer the other week there, and we were like, oh, it's so shiny. It's cool. <laughs> ah, when, when you package a new sponge for the washing up. You yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, simple like, things. Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. This is what I'm talking about. New well, Year's as thing. you know, Caleb, Christmas in our household is, like, a sacred affair. You know? yeah. What about yours? You know? Uh, I got a meal. <laughs> that's that's it, man. That's what wow. I'm about. I wow. I'll tell, tell you what never gets old, though. You know, um, mom's stuffing what, bubble wrap. I know it's complete tangent. Like, you know, when you pop in the bubble wrap thing, the little balloons in your air pocket. Yeah. Yeah, we had no family argument. Like, wow, it was just a regular Christmas smuck. We went out for a meal with our aunts and. Because apparently this is this is a custom that's come out of nowhere with our family. I'm pretty sure it was just them trying to get a, a free meal out of me. 
But like we were out and about and they were like, oh yeah, you know, when you invite someone out, the premise is that you're meant to pay for it as well. I was like, since when has that ever been a fucking thing? Yeah, thing, Mosh. You know. Anyway, I digress. What's everyone uh, playing at the moment? Seeing as we are a, you know, gaming and movie podcast, but we only seem to talk about movies lately. Anyone playing anything yeah, interesting? Awesome, I'm back on Cyberpunk somewhat. Got to get you know, back on that a bit more. It's my aim to do yeah. more. Yeah, Phantom Liberty's um, great, man. I haven't got to it yet. I'm just in the main story, just fucking around. Um, just yeah. robbed the tank with Pan Am. Don't know how much else. I'm just fucking around it. Trying to build yeah. an actual... Right. I remember the first time I played it, I just did guns, but this someone trying to make like a proper a proper build, like a proper character. Yeah, yeah, of... yeah. It, it oh, fits in nicely to the main game, to be fair. It kind of acts as like another... You know, like you've got the three main story treads after you do that mission. Yeah, yeah. It kind of acts as like a fourth arc. So if you treat it like oh. that, that's the best way to do it. It's pretty cool. It's really well integrated. You don't really it. see that with a lot of games. You know, a lot of games, a big DLC normally, it's like, oh, you finish the game and then it's afterwards, or, you know, it's, it's a step apart. awkwardly oh. placed at the start of the game where you're completely underleveled. Me and Brandon have been playing Baldur's Gate 3. Very good game. Oh, fucking sick. We've not been playing it together, FYI. We've just been playing no, it. No, 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 no. We are... Playing through it once first, and then we're going to go back and play through it multiplayer. At least that's the plan. I have a question yeah. then. So, do you think it's it was worthy of game of the year then? Oh, hands down, hands hey. down. I don't think I've played. Look, in terms of like the open world RPG, it does a lot to kind of not only have its own identity, but I think a lot of the because they've brought in a lot of the kind of tabletop elements to it. Even the simple stuff is just doing dice rolls all the time for everything. You know, there's a luck chest. You've got to roll a dice to see if your luck picking can, you know, open it, basically. Persuasion checks and conversations. The fact that everything gets narrated as well. Like, it, all in all, it's just a really, really polished game. It kind of just shows, like, you know, if you actually put the time to make something solid and don't give in to, like, investor or fan pressure, rather than churning out games and getting them out as quickly as possible just to meet demand, you can actually make a polished game that is pretty much flawless at launch. I know there's some issues on Xbox at the minute with the save problem. Has that hit you at all, Bran? No, I haven't had, thankfully, I haven't had any experience with that. I was going to say, yeah, it hasn't happened to me either. Um, Apparently the best way to avoid it is to quit. You know, when you've like, go back onto the dashboard, quit the game before you close your console down. And they have added the option now to upload your save to the cloud as well, I think. I think this episode isn't a review of Baldur's Gate 3, but I must say, having never played tabletop Dungeons & Dragons before, I was quite intimidated going in. But I heard such good things. And, you know, I watch Angry Joe reviews because I'm a sad cunt. But um, he's... (laughs) Everyone's got their preference. I think they're just spot on for me. And, like, oh, it just really... I just remember my mates were playing it before I went to a wedding at the start of December. And when they were playing it, uh, I was just like, I'm not a big fan of like turn-based RPGs. The last turn-based RPG I played, The Lord of the Rings, The Third Age for PlayStation 2. Hell yeah. So they're not really my kind of, you know, strategy turn-based isn't isn't really me. But I thought, you know what, fuck it, I'll give it a go. And I'm so glad that I did because I pumped, God, fucking hell, almost 60 hours of my life into that game. And I'm still only like on Act 2. And I think yeah. to your point about pressures, it's been in... It's been in development for years and like people have had early access to Act One for like three plus years. But I think this is probably a topic for another day, you know, around Yeah, games, for sure. Games games launching <clears throat> on day one not being perfect and then polish, polish, polish versus yeah. your big bang launch. You know, it's hard to know what the right the right sort of like approach is, but anyway. Um, Prince, I must say these golden Oreos are banging, mate. And also, what have you been playing? <laughs> Honestly, I could have I could have eat those for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They're so good. Um, 
I've been playing Final Fantasy 16. I bought huh. it just before Christmas because I've got two weeks off from school. So I thought I, I was actually talking to Caleb about it. It was like, do I, do I buy Cyberpunk again or do I buy Final Fantasy 16 to, you know, put my time in? Because I'll be, I'll be doing nothing but sitting on my sofa for the next two weeks. And uh, so I bought 16. What do you think of it? I like it. I really like it. It It's... It's got that typical sort of Final Fantasy thing where it just slows down to after like certain big events, like that you get you've got the fights are fucking amazing. I'm sorry, oh, the, the, the icon battles, yeah, it's they are really so good. good. They're so good. Have you guys played it at all before I carry? Yeah, on I bought it. I stopped playing it um, not long after Phantom Liberty come out, just because yeah. I was so hyped for that. I've still got my save. I fully intend to go back to it and play. It is a really good game. The combat's a bit samey samey but mm. yeah it's a solid every, game every time you get like a new icon power like you get a hold of it, it, it yeah the attacks are similar but the, it, it's cool it is, it's got a cool factor i'm enjoying but there's a certain fight uh all i can say is like it's called ifrit versus the lost titan that's without spoiling anything i know and, the, the guy you mean i never got that father it's got like the certain sort of devil may cry sort of Metal Gear Rising kind of feel to it. There's a certain mm-hmm. like music starts, mm. and it's so cool. Yeah, I, I I like it. I've not come to the end of it yet because I've only, I'm only I'm only like sixty percent done, but I'm enjoying it. But there there are there are moments where it just lulls and it gets really sort of there's some like fetch quests it gets you to do. I don't know how to make a knife. I'm I'm working with a a blacksmith. Could you find out what makes a really good knife? And you've got to speak to like three different vendors. Good knife needs to be sharp. You speak to another one. A good knife needs to be durable. A good knife needs to be like I was like, and then you come back to me like, oh okay, this is how make a good knife. Like I don't want to do this. I don't want to. Yeah, I think that's something that Final Fantasy's always struggled with, though. To be fair, you know, it's like. They always have really good stories, really good worlds, but then really? the the gameplay in between that tends to suffer a bit. I find. I don't want to chase your lost dog. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't care for the lost dog. You know, you you got pickpocketed. I don't care. I can bust the door open. I, I, I've just fought a titan. I can break that door down. You've lost the key. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. In the... So like that kind of stuff loses me. But oh, the game is beautiful. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm Story's it. really good as well. I like that you're basically playing as Jon Snow as well, like the yeah. the, the Game of Thrones influences in the story because they've yeah. because they've decided to kind of ditch you know the whole crystal Japanese RPG and go more Western. It's it's definitely a stronger point. We've uh, we've kind of caught up now. So what brings us here? I think we're kind of stopped doing Paul Verhoeven movies now for a change, and now we're back with uh, the OG guy that we were talking about, the one that started off these. Well, they're not bonus episodes anymore. They're kind of like regular ones now, aren't they? But we uh, we started this all the way back with Escape from New York. It was. It was was Escape from New York, yeah. 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 But um, yeah, we're uh, we're here talking about the thing today, which is a personal favourite of mine. In my opinion, it's probably John Carpenter's favourite film. I think this is the fourth film on this podcast we've done with Kurt Russell as the main guy in it. (laughs) Yeah, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just fucking minds of like Hideo Kojima with Norman Reedus, or just like well Jeff Keighley with Hideo Kojima. It's like mate, just like why are you putting him in everything? You gotta calm the fuck down. 
It's because uh, Kurt Russell was big on the action circuit and shit, weren't he, back in the 80s and stuff like that, you know? Escaped from New York, LA, big trouble in Little China. He's always kind of like the goofy action hero, isn't he? Like, he's a bit more serious in, like, the escape from films. But uh, Big Trouble in Little China is just a complete goofball. To see him in The Thing, he was very, you know, before we won't get too much into it just yet, but it was a nice change of pace for a character for him. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Of course. Because this is my first time watching The Thing, and thank you for introducing it to me, because it's a cult sort of classic I've always Mm -hmm. watched. So I do appreciate that. Can I just ask you, though, actually, Brandon as well, and Caleb, do you think Kurt Russell would have made a better John McClane? than Bruce Willis. After watching this, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh shit, he might have that. I don't know. Cause yeah, like, no, it, I don't... It's similar to say, it's not saying would any actor do a better job than this, and it's like, that actor and that icon and that role is personified by that person. It's yes, like, would exactly. You take, like, it's very difficult to say. It's like, I think we said before that Arnie can't really act at all, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but... But he's perfect as you... the Terminator. Yeah, would then, you chant? No. I, I think I could see it, to be fair. I, I think... saw it. That's exactly good. I, I saw it. There's, there's something he did in this movie, which, of course, we'll talk about. It was like, it made me think, wow, he could have been... I feel like a TV dinner. I don't know. Like, I kind of get Caleb's point, to be honest. Because like, if you like, look at Terminator and Arnie, like, he's so robotic and static as an actor that playing a robot who's quite static and robotic suits him down to a It's trying to get like, Sylvester Stallone, for example, to play Terminator. It wouldn't work. I think like like it's just we know them as that person. It's not just like a yeah. role or a reboot, and it's just that is who we know. That's not their major roles. It's difficult to take that away from them. They've been... T- I think... A... I, I would argue that, like, you know, I know you're saying, like, Kurt Russell's got acting chops and he shows a different side in this. I would argue that he is the same... Like, when I watched him in this film, I thought of, like, Snake Plissken. Dark, broody, bit of an alcoholic. He was more like that, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. everyone in this film as well. Fucking hell, they all love booze. Booze and guns. <laughs> Considering their science group in the Arctic, they've got a fucking arsenal of fucking guns. And... What did the Arctic around Arctic? I think they're in Antarctic, weren't they? They yeah. are, yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, okay, they're in the South. Kyle, the plot, if you please. Yes, uh, I was just about to go to that. So, Antarctica, winter 1982. Twelve American scientists based out of US Outpost 31 are disturbed when a Norwegian helicopter starts flying low and aggressively over their camp whilst shooting and giving chase to a seemingly random husky dog. After a short-lived but hostile encounter with the pilot over protecting the defenseless hound, it's deemed by the researchers that nearby Norwegian outposts must have come down with a case of cabin fever. They send out a small party alongside pilot R.J. McCready, played by Kurt Russell, to investigate. Once the party arrives at the outpost, it appears something has gone horribly wrong, with most of the crew lying dead and their research notes pertaining to something old that they found buried out in the ice. Upon their return to Outpost 31... With the burnt and twisted remains of some kind of creature, the aforementioned husky has shown its hand, metamorphosizing into an alien biomass that begins to absorb the other dogs in the kennel, before it's burnt alive by the research crew, stopping the monster in its tracks. Following an autopsy by the chief biologist, Dr. Blair, played by Wilford Brimley, it's apparent that the creature is able to assimilate any creature it comes into contact with and change itself on a biological level to be a perfect replica. After deducing that there's a 75% chance that a member of the crew has already been assimilated by the intruder organism, and that it would be around 27,000 hours for worldwide infection if it reached a large population centre, tensions escalate within the crew, with them ultimately coming to a horrifying conclusion. 
Who amongst them has already been assimilated? And who can still be trusted to ensure that the creature doesn't once again escape back into the ice? That's basically the plot in a nutshell, without giving too much away. It's basically, uh, the game Among Us. Yeah, effectively. Yeah, that's it probably. Is. Well, yeah. Among Us is the thing. Let's be real. You know, this well, game. Yeah, first. obviously. Well, in my joke, I was telling Luca at work. I was like, mate, this is this is a rip of Among Us. He's like, mate, please stop. I see. I think. See, for me, like when we were chatting about it, whilst we were watching it, especially like me and Prince in the WhatsApp, like I was really, I was really conscious of not saying something that could have been because you mentioned like McCready bringing back the the alien and them being thick as fuck, which is so true. Because if you saw some random alien life form, why the fuck are you fucking bring it back when clearly there's a guy who's already committed suicide and they've burned it. Like obviously, it's not a good idea to fucking bring it back anyway. Like, I thought, like, the way that this movie... For, and this is the, me watching it back as someone who's already seen the film, which is why I'd be interested to get your point of view, Prince, is the foreshadowing with, like... The dog seems really nice and friendly at the start. There's just something about the dog that just seems off. And the music and the setting and just the general tone, I think, really makes it kind of, like, makes you think, shit, something isn't right here. We don't know what, I mean, but I, something's not right. I think the film does set out to do it very well in the respect that it's... I mean, the whole point of the film is mistrust and paranoia, isn't it? Sorry. No, I was just going to say that's why I was I was curious to hear Prince's point of view on it because, you know, obviously we've all seen the film before and if you have some knowledge of the film, maybe you'd think the same. Like, but it's... Caleb's not seen it either. Oh, did you not? Oh, okay. No, no, well, no, no, both of you... No, no, I haven't seen many films like ever because I don't fucking know. New, I sort of figured from the outset. Like, when I was watching it, and I was like, they're shooting this dog. At least, but why they're shooting the dog, I didn't get it. But then, judging was sort of what I knew and what I've seen from other films, and literally getting some Among Us and shit like that, and things referencing it. It was, I put in the notes uh, down here, I said, uh, dog is lovely but clearly evil. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I recall how this goes. The dog is the alien life form. That's why the Nords are trying to shoot him. The dog is very eerie. The dog is very well trained just to appear, just the way it walks around, just the way it does stuff, the way it just like it'll walk and stop. Then walk again. I don't know, man. They do a really good job of just making a dog seem evil, which is a weird yeah, thing. Yeah, for to sure. Say. You know, very well but, trained you know, dog. You know. I was like, okay, like I can tell this is gonna go, and I know, like I can tell this the general idea of what's gonna happen in this film, which is, as you yeah. said, alien among them. Who is it? Well, that's it. But I think like one of the core societal message one could say. When this film came out, America was kind of in the midst of the AIDS epidemic, wasn't it? That was one of the big inspirations oh, oh, for this film, yeah. Yeah, oh, you know, shit, you yeah. think the blood tests and not trusting who's infected, who's not infected, I think, I think it's, who's I a monster and who's not a monster. I haven't read it yet, but my auntie got me a book for Christmas and it was the influence of the 80s on movie or something like that um, because of the podcast. And I just remember reading the first opening statement or paragraph and it all talked about the time paranoia you know the threat of nuclear war i guess aids as well lots of things that like almost spurred on this like creativity within the movie sector yeah. as a form of escapism but prince what's your what's your take on sort of the the foreshadowing element of the opening bit of the movie honestly they don't make movies like this anymore i would say no, that's the don't. Thing I'd like to say because the way it starts by the way the way it starts like what the fuck what's this enterprise doing here am i supposed to see picard now like the star trek <laughs> <laughs> that was uh that, was, that kind of took me by surprise because i've never seen this before and I, I didn't know what i was expecting i, I didn't watch a trailer i didn't watch, i didn't read the synopsis i didn't even know who was in it so when i saw kurt russell's name on it i was like oh okay this is what we're getting into i completely <laughs> went into it blind but they really Had don't to instantly identify john carpenter movie kurt russell 
it's but then it's it's like you say it's the music as brandon mentioned the music my god like the way they're exploring and they go into this big sort of crater and they go in and they see oh no not the crater sorry the norwegian sort of base and they see sort of the guy frozen and his blood vessels are cut because he's tried to kill himself and the, the blood's just frozen they're walking around thinking oh something's really dodgy here or oh, you found this really there's this thing that's got two faces Let's bring it to our base and like autopsy it. Like, of course, that's mm. a great idea. The dog shooting at the start. It, it this uneasiness um, that the movie starts with. Honestly, I don't know what your question was, Brandon. I'm going on a tangent here now. That sort of modus. cabin fever thing I was saying in WhatsApp that gives you mm-hmm. like who who is it? And honestly, I'm, we'll talk more about it the more we delve into the, like deeper into the movie because we're just at the beginning of it. But that paranoia that you kind of, you know, take from it is like, who is it? Who is it? I think it's this. And that sort of testing thing as well. You talked about the, the, the kind of connection with AIDS. And they've got that sort of, I'm, I'm not sure if it's, if it's intentional, but that sort of stereotype looking, the way they looked at the black characters as well. And spe- especially when, you know, trying to pick a new leader. Child, um, I think his name was. Child, Child. yeah, yeah reaching for the gun no 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 not you it's like oh hold on a second this is like it was so on the nose. undertones of racism yeah i know what you yeah, mean i mean we'll talk more about it but yeah the the way it just sets off the beginning i think it was really great i was hooked straight away but, um, my notes i think it's what prince just said that they go to the, they go to the nord base to what the deal is and then they find this amalgamation of flesh looks like something from the original doom games and they just sort of, I don't know how they bring it back to the base, because I don't know what they came in the chopper, but they just sort of bring it back, and none of them are like that horrified. They're just like, oh, that sucks. That's interesting. Okay. Well, no, when they're, when they're doing the autopsy, they're all like, oh, God, oh, what is it? Oh, uh, you know, like, they're all a bit. You'd be more like, oh, bloody hell, mate. But they're just like, oh, okay, let's open it up then. Yeah, they're all, they're all from London all of a sudden. Oh, bloody hell, mate. What the hell's that, mate? Yeah, oh, mate. fucking hell, man. <laughs> It is like, I guess what you have to remember, though, is is it's meant to be like a science base. And I guess, you know, you hear the ginger guy, you know, he talks about how someone might win the Nobel Prize with this discovery. So there's the implication that, I guess, it's scientific curiosity more than anything. That is the reason that drives them to want to find out more about what it is. Because it's like, shit, this is alien. Fuck, we found an alien. Like, and it's dead. We should bring it back and fucking try and find out more about the alien. You know, I guess there's that kind of curiosity side. I guess curiosity in this instance. No, 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 definitely. Going back to what Prince was saying about, like, the, the kind of ominous foreboding. I mean, the, the, the score is so heavy in this film. You could literally cut the atmosphere with a knife, you know? I mean, that kind of goes back to Ennio Morricone, weren't it? You know, the guy that did the soundtrack for the Dollars trilogy, I believe it was. But he's known for other things as well, isn't he? I mean, he's an award-winning Italian composer, isn't he? Can I can I add as well, linking to the score and kind of talking about they don't make movies like this anymore because movies like today are just very factory sort of feeling to it. Especially when it, you know, the, the title comes up, The Thing, and it's got this sort of creative sort of flesh-like yeah, 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 into yeah. it. Like they're so creative with that as well. They don't, we don't see things like that anymore. It's just like a title and then it moves, it fades away. But it's just, I miss that. I, I really miss like doing something fun with the title as well. And you really get, get a feeling of it. So yeah, carry on. Sorry, Kyle. But I really like well, No, I was just going to say, like, you know, like you said, they don't make films like this anymore. But, but believe it or not, even though this film had a reboot in 2011, which we'll talk about a little bit later, 
This film is actually a remake. It's not actually an original film. This is a remake of a 1951 American black and white science fiction film called The Thing from Another World. It's basically the same plot, except the alien is basically Frankenstein. It's proper goofy. But that is actually an adaptation of a book by uh, John W. Campbell from 1938 called Who Goes There? Basically, yeah. Basically, the entire thing linking all these films is that theme of paranoia and not trusting your fellow man. You're not sure if you're going to even survive, and it's just just a frantic fight for survival, but also trying to ascertain who's human and who's not. But, um, yeah, the dog. I know what Caleb's saying about the dog being ominous. It's just... It's a very well-trained animal. I'm not sure, you know, if you look, if we have to look it up, it'd probably have a name. They do actually credit animal actors in the credits as well, like yeah, Pogo the dog or something. That's what I'll put um, in my sad notes. Um, So when, like, they put the dog kennel with the other dogs, but they have to, like, they they essentially have to train the other dogs to be scared, and that makes me really sad. Oh, oh, Jed. His name is Jed. Jed was a Pacific Northwestern American animal actor. Known for his roles in White Fang and The Thing. He was born in 1977 and died in 1995. He's a fucking good age for a dog. Yeah, he was a Vancouver it? Island Wolf Alaskan Malamute hybrid. So, yeah. What a great thousand yards there as well, that dog. That illusion they try to... You know, you know that scene where the, the, the husky Zed, our resident dog, he he's walking around the base... You know, they train him really well to kind of do that sort of sullen walk, like, oh, up to something. Yeah. And he's there's that scene where you see a silhouette of his like the main guy, like the main dog guy. You know, he loves all the dogs. Was that him? Because yeah, it was. He, he walks into that. He walks into that room and just fades. So you assume something's gone on, but then it turns out actually he what he didn't turn at all. So what was that about? It was like a misdirection I or think, something? Yeah, I think that's a that's a clever part on John Carpenter's point. He does try and misdirect you a lot in this film. There are loads of points throughout this movie, like, you know, the the knickers in the trash can, the blood, and only one person has the key. There's loads of misdirections, because I think that was part of John Carpenter's point about this film. He wasn't Mm. only trying to portray a story of, you know, they're all paranoid about who's who, and you don't know who's right. The whole point of it was to keep you on the edge of your seat as well. You're meant to be second-guessing everything you see on screen as well. Right till the end as well, because in the middle, you see MacReady's, MacReady, sorry, Max... Little, Mac uh, Ready. Now like, at McDonald's, Mac Ready. One is, oh, so hungry after us. I kept saying it. Not that I want to eat Cut Russell. That's not what I mean. I mean, whatever. But there's that misdirection there. Like, so, so when they went to his shack, I thought, oh, no, it's definitely him. That's when I messaged you in the WhatsApp thinking, I think it's him, but I didn't say it. And so, you know, to, for spoilers. And then right towards the end, when he's talking to Child. I think it's Charles, right? Charles, right. yeah. You still don't know if Charles turned or not. You still don't know it because just. But, but I, I know, but I know what you mean. You're absolutely right. I think one of the core parts of the film, and I wrote down in my notes, like was was exactly that. Like that, you're forever just guessing. Like Inception, right, Christopher Nolan? Yeah, with that, uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, just what? to make a closing point on that before we move into the meat of the film. There isn't. Well, there's. There's not an answer, and there's not a definitive answer. But there is definitely more to talk about what you were just saying there, Prince about child at the end. But we'll get to that a bit later. The the kind of dog obviously reveals its hand not too long into the film, doesn't it? With the mm. and Caleb is going to hate me for saying this because we're basically going to be. I'm going to be fanboying most there of this episode. Yeah, no, it's coming. 
my boy Rob Bottin, the special effects in this film, except for the few times where it's like, there were a few times where I saw like some special effects and I was like, yeah, it's not as great as I remember. But for the most part, I'd say 90% of the special effects in this film hold up to this day. Considering think... all that Rob Bottin used was like regular household ingredients, silly string, bleach, fucking, you know, just any any old like, sponge and just mopped it up with like, you know, just it's just such a visceral fucking film. It's all done by practical effects. That is another thing that they don't do much in cinema anymore. Well, that, you know? that was the point I was I was going to make, and I think Prince made the point really well earlier. Was they just don't make movies like this anymore? They feel very, no. you know, like Avengers. Like I love you, I love the Avengers, but it's like it's just factory made, right? It's the same thing. Like they put, there's more like special effects in movies than there are genuine well, scenes these days, know, right? Depending on the movie, but for the most that. part, with big budget movies, it's all about the, the CGI and the special effects, whereas, like you said, in this, it's much more visceral, and I think that kind of visceral sort of style makes it almost feel more believable, because it actually looks real, well, ironically. Yeah, it's, it's all you, happening on yeah, screen, isn't it? I was going to say, like, like the, new, the new Mad Max trailer just looks really overdone. The original Fury Road, fucking fantastic, but the new one, Felder's Call, is really CGI, and it just looks a bit crap. Mm. As I don't you know, like you know, bring up practical effects, you bastards who did it before. Robert Teen, man, look, the the guy is fucking. Low. Anyone thinks special effects in the eighties, they automatically think of Tom Savini. But fucking for me, it's always going to be Robert Teen, man. The work he did on this and the fog, the howling, it's just such a honestly chef's kiss. From what all of you have said, and kind of just makes me think that back then, like eighties, nineties, movies were made because they were a piece of art. Movies are now made for numbers, right? It's all about, as Brandon said, that it's like the Instagram filters. You you keep swiping until you've got your filter and you kind of juice it and you make it for the numbers and then you go to the next thing. But I think that with the practical effects, it, it takes time, it takes effort because you care for your craft. Nowadays, it's not about that anymore. I think that's why those movies, of course, they, they age, so they're a product of their time. But at the same time, you enjoy watching them because they are such a beautiful sort of craft, right? They are a piece yeah, of art. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know. I mean, John Carpenter has made some fucking hammy shit over the years, but I will always maintain, of all the films he has made, this is easily his magnum opus, in my opinion. It definitely has a vision of what it wants to be as a film, and it sets out and does that masterfully. That's the one thing I will say I about like this. I, if, if there's one thing I would say, like not to be negative, but constructive, I feel like it was a little bit like, I feel like the, the movie probably could have done with being a bit longer. Like, I feel like some characters got, you know, the ginger at the start, like he started getting invitated into something, it was horrible. And then the next guy, like the assistant biologist... <laughs> What was his name? The one who just disappeared and then they found his glasses and he was all like burnt up. I guess that adds to the whole like what happened to him. Did he do it because of this? It was when I think he found the McCready, you know, his, his, his slash shorts in a thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's almost um, like to like purposely throw you off, isn't it? Yeah, but I feel like some characters got their kind of due payoff with their deaths or whatever, or some didn't. And I think that adds to the mystery in one sense, but also, I don't know, I feel like maybe they could have had a bit more sort of like enemy interaction. You know what I mean? Because it felt very psychological for a lot of the movie. Like, you know, you're second guessing who's who, you don't know who's where, and then the music just makes that kind of like sense of distrust grow and grow. When I was watching it overall, I felt the movie. I think it takes a long time to really go anywhere. I know a lot of it's the setup, but when I'm watching it, it's just like, okay, the dog's in the kennel, they're chasing it. Okay, they're at the base now. And it's just like, when is this going to go somewhere? And that was my yeah. movie because I just felt it took a bit of time to get into. And it wasn't I until I felt 
I know he obviously built suspense about tempo. I don't feel that suspense came in until later on because the first what, half an hour, 40 minutes, it was just weird on an Arctic base. And it's a bit on Arctic base. And it's just a bit weird, but that sense of abodance when you come up until the dog starts playing completely. I mean, that's about half an hour into it. And obviously the dog revealed itself to be, okay, this big fucking mess of skin. It's okay. Now, now, okay, that, that was a bit bit action, blary 80s explosion. But now there's sort of no sentence going on. And it's sort of like, they start with blood and the blood pack missing. And then that's when the distrust starts. And they start to figure out, okay, something's not up here. Just for the initial we... part, it just took a bit of time to get into. I'd argue that I think that's done on purpose. It's there's got it's got this big crescendo. Honestly, I think it was all like a big sort of musical masterpiece. I I saw it through sound because I saw I heard the music more than I saw anything else. Because I think it's done on purpose. That slow build up I really appreciated. Like honestly, I I don't know about you guys, but these days my my attention span is so bad. Like uh, this is truly the TikTok sort of real era, anyways. <laughs> But this this movie had me, and that build up usually these days, if it's that sort of slow, I'll, I'll leave a movie. I, I don't care for mm. it. It needs to hook me, or it doesn't need to hook me. Action, action, action. But I think that sort of slow crescendo, and then that distrust, it's done so cleverly that if that's a word, it's so um, subtly as well that I think it had me invested, and each time a new kind of character either. Uh, hit the you know bit the bullet or survived like went to the next round it felt like a game show to be fair who is it going to be this time oh mm. this one doesn't survive okay you guys are on to the next round you know it felt that sort of it had that sort of feeling that it did make you go okay who's it going to be who's a big yeah bad? i think they, they kind of they set the scene really well with that with that one doctor as well who like just basically got you know he goes crazy kills all the dogs and starts smashing everything up he's oh, like that's what i was yeah i was just about to mention that because yeah. you got the bit with when he's at the computer and yeah, it's like yeah. a prince mentions the effective use of score you know that slow building crescendo and it's kind of the music's there it's suspenseful but it's quite muted at the same time you know when he's mm-hmm. looking at his computer and it goes it, you see like the little blue thing take over go crazy, to the red yeah. thing and then the red thing takes over the blue thing and then he goes chances that other members of the party have been infected 75% and he's like you can tell he's scared man like you know that that's one thing that I will say about a lot of the actors in this film the facial expressions they do convey quite a good bit you know because he has a computer designed specifically as a computer program designed for understanding the transmission and infection rate of an alien life form so okay, that makes no fucking sense. But yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a giant plot hole, but it serves a purpose, yeah, doesn't it? it? You know, just, you it's kind just of to go, hey, this is dangerous. It looks it like Tetris. Paranoia. It does. <laughs> it looked like what Tetris. But... Complete side note: considering they're all the way in the middle of like you know Antarctica and the you know it's all remote and everything, Kurt Russell was quite happily to like blow up a computer just because he lost a game of chess. Rook to night six. Checkmate. Checkmate. Bitch. <laughs> Anyone else think that that was a bit fucking think, you know, I, I a bit excessive? I, I was like, I think it was a bit excessive here. Like, I did one of the things I wrote down in my notes was like product placement, like the Panasonic computers yeah like radio <laughs> players tapes and then the fucking smirnoff did you see the smirnoff there was that there was a, there was a bit of the, like the old guy when he was you know when he goes nuts and then they lock him up in the fucking shed they drop him a bottle of fucking 
Smirnoff vodka on, on the table. Like, from, <laughs> you can see him, I totally missed that. And then right at the end is like, I mean, fucking Kurt Russell is basically pissed for this entire movie. Like, he's just drinking whiskey constantly. Like, <laughs> well, it's... remember that. That's one thing I want to say now. Is re- remember how much Kurt Russell drinks alcohol in this film. That's something we're going to touch on at the end of this episode. But just remember that. It's got something to do with what Prince mentioned about Childs. He's he's barely wearing a hat or like ear guards or anything. Man's like half exposed half the time. So he needs that alcohol to kind of warm him up. That's Mm. what I thought. Or maybe he's drunk. How he wears is ridiculous, man. I literally put on my notes at one point when they go to the UFO. I said, why is he dressed as a cowboy? (laughs) Let's say what you want, man. Great hair. What great hair he has. Oh, 100%. I tell you what, though, like, they, they, they are 100% like cold blooded Americans, aren't they? They're all, they're all fucking raving alcoholics and they've got fucking, they've got enough weapon and firepower to like blow up an entire fucking science base. Yeah, they are tooled up for scientists, aren't they? I thought that. You know, all the flamethrowers. Like, fuck me, when when do scientists get (laughs) flamethrowers? You know, they've got a lot of firepower for scientists. Oh, shit, there's an alien. Get the (laughs) flamethrower. Hands. I don't don't forget our little team of, like, assistants who've got the fucking fire extinguishers to put it out as soon as it doesn't, so it doesn't go too crazy. They came in better than firefighters, honestly, in that. Like, (laughs) what is going on here? They were, it's like they were ready. Like this isn't drill. their first alien life form they've had to fucking meddle with, is it, realistically? It's yeah. so well prepared. I didn't know what they were there for, like what the research was, but I knew enough that they yeah, were Probably like ice core samples in it, like tracing mm. ice through the generations, history and that. Yeah, need, That's generally what ice. those bases are but for. There's, a lots of, there's lots of theories like around, um, I mean, I say this like I'm a scientist, I'm not a scientist, obviously, but, um, you know, like, isn't there even like an X-Files episode about like, them finding some like Historic like bacteria that's like there is yeah it, fifth episode like, of season one ice so, but that, that's that's obviously not a grounding as a theory but I guess that's it is a physical possibility, possibility. not necessarily like imitation aliens or whatever but like things that that were maybe around in prehistoric times or before or um, during microbial life forms stuck, stuck in the ice yeah. There's, a, there's an episode of Futurama, I think it's when Fry has the cold and he brings it to the modern day and they have to get a cure for some shit and the only cure is on a little fucking, um, like, what they call it, little, little dish that uh, was on a satellite they dumped on, like, Pluto and it's obviously frozen in time on Pluto and it's still there, so they pick it up. But yeah, stuff survives I in did, the ice. It's like this alien bitch. I did think one one thing that, that is still kind of, like, making me scratch my head a little bit that's, like, really doesn't make sense is, like, the scientist who goes crazy. Obviously, you can rationalise his craziness because he's done his algorithm and his algorithm has told, has told him that, like, basically everyone's infected and they're all fucked. So, like, he's just self-sabotaging to try and save humanity. Yeah, his name's um, Blair. Blair. But then... Blair. Where does Blair get the right. time to like tunnel all the way into this little fucking ice cave? Yeah, where he's building some fucking spaceship. Like, what the fuck? Just building a little flying saucer. It's like, yeah, I'm sure they had all the components for that lying around. Which makes it's me like... think maybe he's been infected right from the get go, because obviously there's someone like they find the slacks right at the start, or the the gear. You know, the gear that's all like ripped up, like that McCree starts talking about. They find that right at the start before even the dog turns. So they've got there's got to be someone out of everyone who was infected before everyone else. Of course, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, is you never actually see when the dog like that scene that Prince mentioned. 
you see the dog walk up to a door. You assume it's the guy who deals with the dogs, but you don't actually see who it is. So it could have been Blair. And when and when he gets when they, when they're doing all the testing with the blood, like they test Clark. I think he's Clark. Like he's the one who Kurt Russell just blows off in the air, doesn't it? Like yeah, yeah. Like he he weren't affected. <laughs> that makes you a murderer. <laughs> like when Blair turned, he became the biggest thing. He was like messing up floorboards, and he came up. And that dog, that dog shops shows up everywhere. Anyway, anyways, you might have a point there, Brandon, because. When Blair turned, since he became the biggest thing, he might have been infected the longest, mm. is the logic there, right? Because whenever anyone else turned, it was like a smaller reaction because they'd just turned. They'd just been convert- imitated, the word would be right. So that's interesting. That's a really interesting theory. I didn't think about that. One of my favourite bits um, in the film is when uh, Norris, because like, obviously he's infected, so why does he faint? It's not like an infection where, oh, I've just caught this bug. Oh, I'm feeling a bit faint. I'm going to pass out now. Well, I think he. It's not like, like that. He's already imitated at that point, isn't he? I took that as more like he's got, like maybe he's had a heart attack. And maybe, again, I don't think there's a law on how, what the imitation imitates, but maybe because he had a heart condition, the alien imitator imitated his, like, his shit heart as well. So maybe it gave out. I suppose, oh, but the point it, I was making beforehand be, yeah. was that he was already imitated before he passed out. That's how this creature works, isn't it? He would have already been dead, absorbed, and then returned back into Norris, the alien version. So it's almost like the paranoia was getting a bit too much, and the alien used maybe like a pre-existing heart condition that they all knew they had. Pass out as an excuse to get them all in a room and maybe infect them. When that first guy initially turns and runs outside and hasn't turned all the way and it's just like half morphed and he goes like... That bit's creepy, man. I remember that bit when that I was... That I mean... was like, shit, man, that is fucking creepy. I did not... I liked it because that was like the only time that I felt that, oh, this is unsettling. Like that noise he makes and that vacant fucking stare of just like Finished. not being a thing. It was like, oh, mate, that is... Benny's was right there, Mac. I swear to God it had a hold of him. It isn't Benick. film is actually pretty uh, fucking scary when you actually me, look at it from its you know i mean i mean say what you want about us oh. watching horror movies at a young age but that film fucking scared the shit out of me when i was a kid man like, yeah I for sure like, that that one scene like oh. i think i think it's probably one of the scariest films i remember from my childhood and having genuine nightmares about because i was just like it's so fucking I just had images of that ginger guy with his arms and going... Yeah, I like, think it's so visceral as well. I think the fact that it's yeah. so visceral is what makes it so kind of like mentally foreboding. But um, yeah, then they, know, going back to the bit with that. Norris, like there's so much that happens in that scene in terms of like special effects, you know, the stomach coming apart, the arms being ripped off, the fucking 
just, just nearly everything. It's just crazy. I think they actually hired a double amputee for that scene. They yeah, Google that they did. Yeah, yeah, they did. There's a double amputee, and then they kind of like mounted your man's head on top of the other guy's body. It's weird, but yeah. Clever before, well, like, before that scene as well, that was when like I think that missed before the hospital, well the dissection handcuff scene. I thought that's where the cats really start to be like, okay. I think beforehand, earlier on when it goes on, like okay, there's something going on. We don't, we need to look out for each other and find out what's going on. But at this point, they're like, I don't fucking trust any of you. Like at that point, sort of all trust in all of them and this idea that like they'll figure out how and they'll work as a team to make sure they'll suss it all out. At this point, that's all gone, and they're just like it's sort of a free for all at that point. I felt, and that's I liked about the accusing, not to trust what to go on. People are starting to get a bit shady, um, but as I said before, I felt it started slow at this point. I felt okay now we're now the distrust is creating more shit, and I enjoy it. I was looking at my notes, and I saw something that I just thought I'd remember to mention is like Kurt Russell's McCready. That's his name in the movie, isn't it? McCready. Yeah, McCready. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got this like cool guy sort of aesthetic. And obviously, like, he's the pilot. He's the guy who's got all the cool jobs, basically, at this science place. But he's also the resident weatherman. I remember one specific scene. I can't remember at what part, but he's... I think it might be when he's, like, narrating to himself on the video recorder. And he's like, oh, we're going to get hit with a bad storm in four hours. And I'm like, oh, how do you know that? I guess, <laughs> firstly, I thought, oh, it's the... It's the it's the kind of nature. They know what They know what to expect when they're there. But then I also thought, like all of their communications are out and they had been for a long time. So how do they know what the weather's going to be like if it's meant to be like sort of changing all the time? I think they established like near the start of the film that there's a massive storm coming in. And that's why you they got the windows, haven't you? They were, they were isolated for that reason as well. They love smashing up the windows as well, don't they? Right at the start, that fucking one guy is just like... Psh, psh, and then he got the perfect headshot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, dude, it's going to be cold now. What are you going to do here? You're going to be it's cold. Yeah, Can't help but think that, that was John Carpenter making a statement about That's Norway's it. accuracy with weapons versus the US. You got the guy with an assault rifle who can't shoot for shit, and then the American guy with a revolver. Through, it's a headshot. Right <laughs> yeah. Well, you said that, but there was, there was an accuracy with a gun that I noticed. Uh, they did the cliche aiming the gun, then pulling the trigger back, which you don't do that with a gun. You do it to pull a but like to cock the first fucking. No, you cock the gun, but to do that, you don't need to pull the trigger back. It's not fucking like 1901 anymore. Everything's double action these days. Especially yeah, on the I was going to say. All, well, like, no, the, the, there is a benefit to doing that. The, the benefit is is that there's less of a trigger pull, so it's more accurate. If you pull the yeah, hammer so back, it's, it's, it's a, a very, very back. slight trigger pull versus a very heavy, full automated trigger pull. The idea is is it, it throws your shot off less, is the idea. Oh, but yeah, you're not wrong. Say, Everything is yeah. double action now, yeah. You don't yeah. need to fucking go. Oh yeah, I mean, what did I put? Um, I mean, I got so with the weird bullshit, with the weird blood scene. I only knew of that scene when they were getting all the things. But I only knew that from South Park because there's an episode where <laughs> there's an episode where it turns out one of the kids has got nits, and they're trying to figure out who's got who. So Cartman does the experiment on all the people with their blood, and then it turns out Kenny has them. I put it. It goes, I'm good. Kenny has nits. Kenny has. Turns out at the end, every single one of them had nits, and they're all just lying. Um, which is still beat up Kenny because Kenny was still technically lying that he didn't have them. Um, but I only knew of that scene because of that. But when I was watching it, and this scenario, Carl's going to go, oh, well, actually, um, <laughs> no point do we test Kurt Russell's blood. Right? That do, yeah, yeah, he does. He does, because he comes out with the classic one-liner. Now I'm going to show you what I already know. Now I'll show you what I already know. Crack of shit. Let's try the Doc and Clark. 
And Clark was human, huh? Which makes you a murderer, don't it? Because he's like the central focal point of the movie, pretty much. He's probably the only person you can confidently say isn't uh, an alien. Yeah, but you Even... say that, and that's how these movies get you. It's like, oh, it won't be him, yeah, but true. it could be. True. Could be. He, um, all, all I'll say to that is play the PS2 video game and yeah, then let's was... have a conversation. Well, I mean, no, the no. likelihood is of the end that they're actually going to play the PS2 video game. Basically, the premise of the PS2 video game is it's set like 17 weeks after the events of the film. Hmm. Like a research team goes out, and it's it's quite it's a good, good game. You know what? It's actually, it, I mean, yeah, it's dated, but like, it's definitely worth. Like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get that PS3 with the PS2 sorted at the moment, so I wouldn't mind giving it actually a look. Actually, cool. Yeah, they've got um, they've got quite a solid trust mechanic in the game as well, which kind of mirrors the film quite well. Let's just say someone turns up at the end that you're like, ooh, and then you're like, ah. you're really, you're really bad at telling, like you're not spoiling things, so. I know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a, tw- it's a, now like I know a someone turns up at the end, and it's going to be one of the two characters who's probably survived. Caleb, you're never going to play the game. It's a 25 year old PS2 just game. Said, I literally just said, I literally said, I haven't turned this PS2 sword, so I might look into that. But now I won't because you're doing things like you've ruined things that I really wasn't going to get. I'm never going to play the game, and I want to hear what Carl's got to say. Into it. <laughs> you know what? No, we're going to do some unorthodox here. Caleb, put your hands in your ears so you can't hear anything. No, just, just, just do it. Whatever. Just do it. No, I, think let, I think I think let's do, yeah, it do that. Yeah, do that. Right, Caleb can't hear anything. McCready yeah, turns up that. at the end of the PS2 game. Prince. Oh, that's so cool. Seven. This yeah. is How many weeks after the ending? Seventeen weeks. So it's kind of dubious. Oh, wow. Looking He's at the end of the film and, and, and at the and at the start of the game, you find Charles frozen to death. Yeah, you oh. do. How did how did he survive? How did McCready survive? This well, is it. Question. Well, did that's he? Question, isn't it? Did he or was he imitated? Oh, but then he tested his blood. <gasps> Unless there was someone else's blood, and he was like, did a tricky thing. Could have done. Could have done. You know, because he was the one taking. But again, blood, right? I keep making this point that something else about what you mentioned about the ending. We will get to it at the end, but there is a very good point that makes you think. Oh, yeah, that's so cool, Caleb. You oh. can put your headset back in now. He was listening the whole time. How would he know? Other than, I'm trusted. I think. Caleb, if you wasn't listening, how would you know to put your headset back in when I told you to? I could just heard it in the corner down here. Mistrusting here, huh? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that what I'm doing? I think that is like, genuinely one of the one of the best parts about the film, though, is it just like keeps you guessing, like throughout. Well, not necessarily throughout all of it, because after a while, obviously, you know, after the testing, you know who's who. I felt really yeah. sorry for that, like, can't remember his name, the the geezer who was, like, the radio guy trying to contact everyone. He oh, Windows, blood, yeah. Yeah, Windows. He had his fucking blood-tested early doors. And then he's the first one to get the fucking... He just got fucking... Bumped. He got his head He got his head chomped. And then... Yeah, I that, mean, that, that was one of the scenes where I thought the special effects kind of slipped a little bit. You know when he, like, lifts <laughs> him up and it's quite clearly a fucking, like, resuscitation doll. Annie doll. It's like... Oh yeah, but, um, jokes. Yeah. I have questions on the end because, like, the reason they want to kill it. Oh, if this thing, this one just go outside and freeze again, like we've got to kill it. Okay, fair enough. Why is the thing running around the base? Why is it just walking through the snow and just sort of refreeze itself? Well, I guess the... they might find it at some point down the line. I suppose the logic is is that he's trying to like assimilate with all the humans, so there's no one left to kind of reveal him if he does come back. I don't know. Or it's all like, speculative, isn't it? Uh, well, if you remember earlier in the film, like the Norwegians, 
they found the spaceship, but they also found one of the aliens. Like, yeah, well, yeah. they found it in the yeah, ice, okay. and then it's thawed out. And then I think essentially what the alien wants to do again is that because there's no way self sabotage. Like, the, again, this is a plot hole for me. It's like the the Doctor Blair. He's self-sabotaging like the all the vehicles for them to escape, which with the rationale in his head of everyone's an alien makes sense. But then later on, underneath the shed, he's like always oh, been robbing all the parts to build a spaceship. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, but I mean, how, I mean, how quickly was that man building a spaceship? Like he built that thing like a few hours. Like I, think, I mean, obviously he's yeah. an alien guy, but like he's building a spaceship out of helicopter parts. What? You, I, don't, you I don't, don't know how it. Be, they're probably very advanced sort of alien life. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've got Picard, they've got Picard Star Trek ships, so that you know they've got something. So you never know. But then, like, uh, it just, that, it was, what, what oh, Brandon said before, maybe he's been infected way before we didn't know. Yeah, but no, it is that's interesting possible. as well because it does make you quite like the, the way the, the way the aliens are like sort of like framed in this film. It makes you feel like they're not necessarily. It's more like a, a pathogen or like a bacteria or a virus than yeah. it is like a, a an actual like. You say, you know, like human like, sentient, yeah, sentient yeah. alien that's like, I want to kill the world. Yeah, it's because it was just like, it was like, oh yeah, we've got it. Like, he's gonna turn off all the stuff, so he's you can all freeze to death. Okay, that makes sense. Is that? But he could just walk into the snow and just lie down in the snow and just go to sleep for like a trillion years until he gets found again. Yeah, so, but I, I suppose he also wants to stay close to somewhere where he will get discovered. I think that's the argument. I might be the only one who sort of thought this when I was watching it, but like. When MacReady and the others found the the spaceship underground, I thought straight away that looks like a fucking flying saucer. But they were like, "Oh, he's just he's building some vehicle to escape." And yeah. I'm like, "What? What the saucer vehicle. shaped vehicle?" He's he's wrapping all the helicopter parts to build a vehicle to get out of here. They're just say, it looks it like was a, well established alien. that the Third Reich had uh, flying saucers in Antarctica oh. during World War Two. So it's maybe one hey, of there was a base on the Arctic. That was legit. Typical I do find that shit fascinating, though, to be fair, you know? Oh, yeah. It's really interesting. Caleb, tell us your points about the ending and why you don't think it's great. Go on. Why don't you think... So the entire film's plot, right? The entire film's plot is about subterfuge, mistrust, who knows who. What is that? The ending is he literally just yeets a bunch of fucking dynamite at a big A and it explodes. Like, oh, get fucked! Boom. It's like, right, that is such like a weird ending for this film that's about, like, you know... Just secrecy, mistrust. Ah, and it ends I with. I do have to agree with you. You, you are you fair. are missing one fundamental point, though, is that like all of the all of the science crew, they're not scientists really. They're just fucking pyromaniacs. They got fucking flamethrowers, bro, and yeah. and I shitloads just... of dynamite. <laughs> yeah, it just sort of, sort of annoys the following you know, the target. I don't I don't know what I expected really because you know you get the thing where it's like, who's the real alien? Tell me something only you would know. And it's like about his wife twenty years. I don't fucking know. It just sort of ended on this really sort of weird... And yeah, granted, the ending is more with those two sitting down at the end, and it's like, hey, something's not right here. That's sort of the ending, in a sense. But the ending with actually Kill the Alien is just so... I felt it was so just unlike the rest of the film. It was just... Yeah, a... it was very... It did feel very rushed. It was very like yeah. Neon City, you know, it just happened. <laughs> you know, it's just like, obviously a bit more, you know, context to it, I suppose. But yeah, no, yeah. where we were going with that is the final scene. Now, this is something that people have been theorising over for fucking decades. Have you ever heard of the so-called gasoline theory, Brandon? I've heard of it, yeah, of course. Yeah, right, so let me give the context to this then, because this, this, course, is a fucking, this is a fucking mind-blower, man, because it does change how you see the ending. So... Obviously, we see Childs and we see MacReady. They're laughing, having a drink together as they freeze to death in the fucking Arctic. 
It's not going to take long for them to die. Why has McCready got a bottle of whiskey on him? The whole place Russell's is just blown up. That, um, That's Kurt Russell's character. He's got oh, a bottle of whiskey yeah, on him. Yeah, whiskey man, the guy who had his whiskey Yeah, in but at this point, the entire place is blown up and he's not going to have a certain stash of whiskey anywhere, is he? No, it was a Molotov. It was a Molotov cocktail. That that bottle was full of gasoline. He gives it to you? Childs and offers him a drink. If Childs was human, he would have drank from that, spat it out because it was petrol. But he knows... Uh, that's why the second that child takes a drink, the creepy music starts playing, you know. Doom, I didn't know that they definitely and then, set up. you know, McCready starts looking at him and laughing because he knows he's an alien. But at the same time, they're both going to freeze to death, so who gives a shit? Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well... What do we do? Why don't we just... Wait here for a little while. See what happens. I did write my notes halfway down. Um, oh my god, it's Keith David. <laughs> but I didn't realize it is, it is, yeah. That voice because Keith David was such a good fucking voice. And I was like, Wait, I love the I expression know. on Prince's face right now in regards to that. <laughs> what, change here? Blow my mind there. Yeah, it's it's quite. When I first read that, I was like, "Fuck, man, that is like." Either way, to be honest, it could be true. It could be fuck. It could be just fan theory, but it's an interesting take on it. You know, yeah, but... take. What you just told me earlier that Caleb should not hear, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it does kind of add more credence to it, but the other thing that we should talk about before we close this episode off, we won't go too much into it because it's a separate film, but we've got the 2011 reboot as well. Wasn't it a prequel? Yes. So, do you remember the Norwegian base at the start of the film that they're going to investigate? Norwegian? It's basically the the story of what happens there. Hello. And the film ends uh, as the, 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 the one thing I will say right. about the film is it's not the best film ever, but the guys who made it were fans of the first film. You could tell everything all where all the original, they use like, they use the scenes from the, you know, the bit when they go to the Norwegian base, the guy there with his throat slit in the wrists, the fire axe in the door. You see all those key moments in the prequel, which is quite, it it is really nice well done. That's a, yeah, yeah. yeah the, one of my biggest problems with the the reboot is the fact that they rely way too much on CGI, and the aliens uh, are way too clean. There's hardly any blood. It's all CGI. It's just it's not the same. Not it's, it's quite a bloody film. This film. 
You know, the, the, the transformations are quite visceral. They're a bit too clean in the new one. I don't know, that was my take, but... Brandon, you've got a point to make because you've seen it as well. Uh, I don't think it's terrible. Um, it's not horrific, not, but... I think it's... I think it's good context for you know like the the scene in the in the opening bit of the movie where like McCready and the Doctor go Blair go to the Norwegian base and you see the guy like who's committed suicide and his neck cut and his wrist cut like you see that happen like so I think in in that respect it adds some it adds some like context to the first film but I mean obviously it's never going to be as good as the original because it was made in a different time different director different kind of I mean, you know, t- to be fair, like, this film has gone on to achieve cult status, hasn't it? Because when it first came out, it was fucking critically panned, like a lot of Carpenter's work. But I think it didn't help that it released, it literally released on the same day or the same week as Blade Runner. I think a lot of people theorise that the reason why it was met with such an unfavourable reaction is because it released the same month as E.T., which is like a family-friendly alien movie. My cute alien, film. and then you've got... You know, then you've got The Thing, which is a visceral, gory, horrible, scary alien film. So obviously one's going to make one look the other way. You know, it's going to make it look worse, basically. So I've just read something. Um, sorry, oh. like, as soon as we started talking about the ending, I just had to go on Google because it's just it's such a good discussion topic on, like, who was and who wasn't the alien. And, like, um, apparently someone called Dean Kundi um, offered some commentary on, like, the Blu-ray version, and he said... So we were looking for some kind of subtle way which one of these men might be human. You'll notice there's always an eye light, we call it, a little gleam in the act, in the eye of the actor. It gives life. That it. eye light is supposedly a tell as survivors, McCready and Childs, wait it out to see before the credits roll. So they're saying there's something in the eyes of the people that aren't infected. Dean Conti was the primary cinematographer for the film, just for clarification. I felt that was one thing I sort of liked, but sort of, I guess, this sort of film. I wanted more hints of what's going on, but the sense, as the fact you've got none, it does add more to it. Because, like, a lot of these films would be, like, or, like, really minor sort of things you get told about and you watch again. Oh, actually, yeah, and maybe there are, because they're that fucking subtle. Um, but I think, like, the fact it does, some of these films make it really fucking obvious. I remember, I think, me and my, me and my friend Sam watching, like, one of the Scream films recently, and mm-hmm. literally within 10 minutes, it was like, okay, it's him and the other guy, the other killer's going to be that person. And, yeah, he was correct. Because it was so obvious from the start who was going to be like the bad guy. I do like Scream the though. The original Scream is brilliant. <laughs> it's such a good film. I think I think that's There's... what like, yeah. I think it's that mystery, right? It's that it's that kind of yeah, element it of doesn't, you don't know. It's really it... obvious. They, they they don't give you any hints, and that's sort of a good thing. I mean, it's nice when you start to say, "Oh, wait a minute!" But when they throw a lot at you, and it, what it means, it could be anything. It's like they'll say, "There's lots of." bad evidence for any of these people being the badly alien which really doesn't mean add anything but that sort of goes it means you to, you know, as they do it leaves you to mistrust all of them and and even you know like the game like i know you know i know you might play the game caleb and you yeah, may or may sure. not have heard our discussion previously but like you know the you find child quite early on in the game like frozen to death mccready's nowhere to be found and maybe or maybe not he turns up I mean, you've basically just fucking said it in not so many words, but well, I think you heard it anyway. When 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 you had your, when you when you had the when you had the headphone headset out, you obviously heard what I was saying, didn't it? Um, oh, actually, those headphones no, was on the side. But I'm not paying attention anyway. You know, like even that, it's like you know the way he acts at the end of the game. It's like he's like McCready in the in the movie. Excellent timing there, pilot. Early retirement from Gen Inc. <laughs> no, not exactly. 
on my way back from an extended Arctic vacation. Uh-huh. So what's your name, smartass? McCready. R.J. McCready. U.S. Outpost North 31. But then, how do you survive 17 weeks in the cold with no... But then why isn't he also frozen? But I think that was obviously implying that McCready's an alien now. They're flying away. The cast for this film, we've got some solid hitters. Like you say, you've got Kurt Russell and Keith David. They're probably the like house names in the film, I think. You guys, um, you think for us, you've got to remember yeah. a lot of the a lot of the actors. Like I did a little Google. Some of the actors on this are like unfortunately no longer with us. There's some like there's some old school fucking Hollywood actors in it. I mean, you got Wilford Brimley and Donald Moffat for a start. David Clennon, Bill Lancaster. There's some old there's some old names of Hollywood in here that are, you know were quite big in their heyday. No, I'm just looking up some trivia for this now. Um, John Carpenter. It's his favorite film. Of all the films he's directed, this is his favourite film. He was also sold on making the film by the blood test scene. That's the thing that made him want to do it. He was adamant that he wanted to create a monster movie where the creature wasn't obviously played by a man in a suit. It's something that bothered him horrendously while he was watching Alien, which, for clarification, is my favourite film of all time. Oh, yeah, Mick. That'll be an interesting one when we do it. To give the illusions of icy Antarctic conditions, interior sets on the Los Angeles soundstage were refrigerated down to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Ugh. While it was oh, <laughs> while outside, it was over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> Apparently, to make Fucking it look good. more visibly cold, Kurt Russell yeah. took a drag on a cigarette at the beginning of certain shots to make the breath appear more visible. You know, any opportunity to get a little drag on the drag. cigarette in? Oh, this is cool, this is cool. Apparently it's become a tradition in British Antarctic research stations to watch The Thing in 1982 as part of their midwinter feast and celebration held every June 21st. I like that, that's cool. It is. I did see one thing, and it's like, so there is... This is me with fucking geography fucking loose somewhere now. Like, there's, there's entire areas in Antarctic that have just never been to, never been explored, they're completely unclaimed. There's like Mount Sydney there, like yeah, hundreds, like hundreds of people climb out every step every fucking year. But Mount Sydney, nobody climbs that. It's in the Antarctic. Climbing a mountain in the Antarctic, like what the hell is out there? Like there might be shit under the fucking ice there. It's just yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, it's like a weird theory that there could be some random shit like locked down, like you know, a mile underneath the ice. But there genuinely fucking could be. It's the middle mm. of nowhere. It's scary for sure. This one's quite funny. I'm reading here. So, who here has seen Quentin Tarantino's film The Hateful Eight? No. I haven't actually, no. Here you go, Kyle Kyle spoils something else for us all. No, 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 no. Well, basically the premise of the film is it's about a bunch of cowboys that get stuck in a haberdashery. Ah, haberdashery. Haberdashery, yeah. It's like a a bed and breakfast in the Western times. But they they all get locked in by like a storm and a cold. Like, it all freezes over and they don't trust each other. It's basically the cowboy version of the thing. But the thing that makes it even more hilarious is that Ennio Morricone used the score from the thing in hateful eight as well there's a bit when one of the guys is outside and the, you know the music starts playing it's like doom 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 it's quite it, funny the irony of it is is that when morricone did the score for the thing it was nominated for a razzle award for the worst score however <laughs> using the same song the same score within the hateful eight score won him an oscar so it's like i think i think it's a standout really like i think if you take away the the atmosphere and the music from this film, then it probably just becomes like a another generic, I don't know, sci-fi alien movie. I think the music and the environment really adds to the, it really adds to the sense of fear. It does. Because they're it li- does. literally in the middle of nowhere. And any one person that they're with or talking to could be a fucking alien about to bite their head off. 
I agree. This is it. It's the music, but it's also the special effects. I will die on this hill that this is probably one of the best examples of practical effects being amazing in cinema. I think to the point that Rob Bettine, after the work on this film, he had to administer himself into a hospital for two weeks just to go over the exhaustive working practices of just getting everything perfect for this film. You know? Mad. That's insane. Well, well, it just shows his dedication to the fucking craft, man. The guy's a fucking... In my eyes, he's like Jesus, you know? <laughs> but... As when I was putting the notes, and it's obviously this is Among Us. There's a, an episode of Rick and Morty. I think it's like season one or two. I forgot it is. Where again, there there is a, there's an end in the house that takes on memories and forms and makes you have memories, and they're trying to figure out who it is. I know Rick and Morty's got a lot of oh, Rick and Morty, <laughs> you know, cliche like Gen Z humor, whatever. But uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a good It's a funny one. They're trying to figure out who it is. Yeah, all these random characters start to appear in the house because they're just trying to implant <laughs> false memories in them. Oh, but it's in the shiver how many things have like taken cue, not cues, but like as that South Park did it, Among Us is pretty much based on it, and tons of other things know that done it as well. I'm just reading another bit of trivia here. It's fucking hilarious. So you know how we were saying about how the dogs were all really good actors in the film. Well, specifically Jed, but all the other dogs, you know, mm-hmm. crying on demand. Yeah, they had. They, Apparently, they had to be the... sad. I didn't like it. Well, apparently the way that they did it was the sound editor called Colin C. Muat achieved the dog cries in the film by rounding up all the neighbourhood dogs, placing them in his house, and fervently stalking them around the house in a dark trench coat with a collar up, or tapping on the the windows and rattling doors to frighten them. Basically just followed them around the house in a trench coat to scare them. You you couldn't do that now, definitely not. There's that really mad. Slight tangent, but somewhat related. Have you all played Mass Effect? Nah, I need yeah. around. The noise that the Reapers make, that real kind of like, kind yeah. of like industrial sound. Apparently yeah. that was literally just like them throwing something in a massive trash can and just shaking it. It's the point, I guess, like, you don't always know where something iconic comes from. Like, that's mad that it's like fucking... They've some done guys. something of uh, the, the Doctor Who sort of theme. They've done something similar there as well, where it's like this inorganic sound that's come from just, you know, something you wouldn't expect from. Oh yeah, it's cool. Like back then, honestly, like you talk about this guy going to hospital just to recover from his hard work. Back then, it's all about that grafting of the craft. I mean, of course, you shouldn't make yourself ill and you know hurt yourself to create something. But art was like a cinema was something that you kind of grafted for. Oh, for sure, it's all for about sure, like mate. shortcuts. You take the shortcuts to you know whether it be AI or whether it be you know computer generated, whatever it is. It's about taking the, the short way into it and how do we get the big results. But back then, it's like you, you put your back into it. You put your heart and soul into it and you get something which, you know, people, the, the critics might pan and it be- ends up becoming a cult classic. But then eventually, as you said, the music as well, it's it's so good. It's it's the character. I think it's one of the one of main characters in this movie because it helps you kind of along the journey. It wasn't recognised, to be fair. You know? <laughs> so I just read something and he was saying, like, mate, what is the thing in 1982 so good? It goes, all of the actors give strong realistic performance and the special effects are so powerful that they stand as their own main character. It's yeah, a pretty yeah. good way to describe it, to be fair, because it... I think, like you said, Carl, there are a few bits, like, you know, right at the end when Blair, the big bad thing... The giant like, alien. His, his tentacles that were, like, coming out of the ground, like, were... You could see that that was special effects, and it like it just didn't. Yeah, that was stop motion. Fit. Yeah, it didn't um, look great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, on the whole, like I think of all the films we've watched on this podcast, especially like John Carpenter movies, like if I compare it to say like Big Trouble in Little China, I love Big Trouble in Little China, and it is a fucking. It's, it's a great it's, film. It's, but... it's a it's a barrel of laughs, but this film's like an actual film. 
if there was a list of you know films you must watch before you die, this is definitely on them. Like it's just yeah, that yeah. I mean, your I think he's got something for everyone. Like I think from any genre, it's fucking scary. But you know, like, oh yeah, there's, like there's... in terms of his films, this this film is actually even now like still viscerally just to look at. Maybe not so much like takeaway yeah. fear, but just to watch it is a fucking terrifying film. This no two ways of questioning it, man. The atmosphere is so thick. Like I said earlier, you could cut it with a knife. Only if those damn Norwegians knew how to shoot, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still convinced that that was John Carpenter trying to make a point about well, Norwegian shooting ability and how Americans just... are all cowboys and like. Pew. But can I just say, Brandon? Though, if those Norwegians knew how to shoot, there would be no movie. You know. True. True. Or actually, like, <laughs> oh. don't, don't they require burning? Surely everyone would just know that the dog's an alien early doors. Like, but then there still wouldn't be no movie. There'd be no suspense. Yeah. <laughs> I put, um, I put Resident Evil one walls. You got to burn the body. See, that's your Resident Evil 1 rules. Me and Brandon are like old school, man. Resident Evil 1 to us is... PlayStation 1, yeah, not the remake. The The remake is much better, but I still remember the first one. You can still burn bodies in the the original and the GameCube 1, you can burn the bodies. You have to get the gasoline. It wasn't worth the effort. I'm on about the PS1 version of Resident Evil 1. You can't burn bodies in that at all. Crimson Heads only came into it in the the remake. Yeah. did play that original as well, but... So what were we all thinking, score-wise, just to drum this in a bit? For me... Solid 9 out of 10. No question. This is, for John Carpenter, this is as close to perfect as a film as that guy could direct. The fact that it's his favourite film as well speaks volumes. Practical effects by Rob Bettine deserves an Oscar. The score as well, perfect. The whole sense of everything, just paranoia, mistrust, deception. It's just all wrapped up, layered into a nice white-knuckle roller coaster of terror. I broad brush agree with everything you said, Kyle. I'm not sure I'd give it a 9 out of 10, but I think scoring it out of 10 is just an opinion anyway, but, you know, I enjoyed it. it. You know, it's a, I, it's a fun thing to end these episodes on. I enjoyed the film, you know. I was, I felt scared even as an adult watching it. I know that sounds ironic because it's an adult film, you shouldn't be watching it at a young age, but... Yeah, we've got Dad to blame for that one. <laughs> it stands up. You know, it stands up really well. I think yeah, it's, it does, it's, it does hold it's up. Really, it's really well put together. The suspense, the music. I think the music itself is one of the best parts of the movie. It just adds a real sense of fear to the unknown. Even watching it today, like there's still bits of the movie that make you question, like like Blair. I'd never had that thought about Blair and like going in that underground tunnel and like sabotaging everything earlier. Like it really made you question, like was he already infected or did the dog infect him at the start? Like, all of these questions that are still running through mm-hmm. your mind even on the four like the sixth or seventh watch so i'd say it's seven or eight out of ten it's it's a good film and i had a good time with it nothing else really to say i creatively articulate myself as well as you did kyle so you know all right you know i do have a flair for the bullshit caleb well <laughs> no uh it's a good film it's a good film it's a good film I, luke I at his it. workplace is going to be feverishly <laughs> waiting this oh yeah no, he, said, he said he, he yeah he literally like i, I just kept asking him really dumb questions like but how did the spaceship get under the ice? They didn't explain that. And he's like, I swear to God, I swear to fucking God. <laughs> Just really dumb fucking questions. No, it's a good film. I think it's a very good film. I do think it takes a bit of long to get into. And like, it's not like tension is starting to pick up until a little bit further in. When it did kick in, I felt it was like really good. When the distrust is there, it's like, oh, okay, they're all starting to fucking hate each other. This is This is interesting. But as I said before, I do feel that the finale was just a bit... Fuck you, explosion, boom, and... Yeah, it was. It was. That, was a bit, that, that was is not... quite, like, atypical for Carpenter, though, isn't it? We had the same reflections for... Um, was it Escape from New York? With, I guess know, that's, like, an action film. I don't know, though, Escape from like... New York has got quite muted, quite drawn-out ending, I thought. You know, you got the not big... Necessarily, yeah, not necessarily I the ending, like... though, but, like, the, the, the runtime itself. Like, there's lots of, like, scene setting right at the beginning. 
yeah, you know, about true. New York City and about the prison and about like, York, this environment. And then it's like very quickly into like the action sequences and then the end. Kind of similar yeah, to this. I, 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 I don't think it's that because yeah. that's like an action film. It's, I don't know, like it, it's, I mean, yeah, it does have the same problem, but I don't know. The film that is all about like mistrust doesn't end with like using the same mechanics it's used for the entire film. That was my issue with it. Um, mm. But yeah, I just so like, I literally wasn't noticing really like that. I was like, the, oh, finale, that was it. It's like, oh, that's a bit disappointing. But so overall, come on, then. Good film. score uh, seven. Seven. Prince, seven. final thoughts? Honestly, I was going to say, it, I think it's very consistent. The movie is so consistent with its theme, its music, its sort of feeling. It's a, it's a solid movie. I'm going to give it four Zs out of five. Four Zs out of five. Because it is, or should I give it nine Zs if we're going at the score of ten? Uh, what does that translate to in a Metacritic score? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going with Zed's here. Honestly, that 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 doggy, that husky is fucking great. He's a man of the match. Um, without mm. him, there wouldn't be no movie. Yeah. So, so really, honestly, I, th- I think overall, it's my first time watching it, and it's one of those movies I think I want to watch again with my with a girlfriend. It's it's perfect to watch. Like it's like it's kind of see other people's reaction. Like, oh, I wonder how they're going to react. Set pieces like oh I wonder yeah. what get get oh. yourself a woman that likes horror films because Kirsty fucking hates it. Honestly, <laughs> well get get myself a woman. That's 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 the beginning. No woman, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a woman. Not over like you just fucking walking in apparently. What are those? <laughs> Anyways, without I digress. The movie is honestly so great, and I'm so thankful for you to uh, for you to like. Introduce that to me. I do. I don't know for sure, mate. You know, I've always, I've always, like I said to at the beginning, I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. It's never been like on the agenda, you know, because you hear hear about the cult classics, but the thing and the thing is one of the like one of the on the list, like the top ten list. You always hear about the movies you should watch before you die, and you've also said that, Kyle. It's a privilege to watch this. I do agree that it's one of John Carpenter's like bests. It got his campiness, and I said in the WhatsApp chat, it's got that eighties sort of thing where it just ends abruptly. Just mm-hmm. you know, they'll say something and it just ends like, oh, was that everything? And the, the titles roll like you know, like these days movies they've got this big sort of end thing where you got to walk into the sunset and it ends and like, oh, that's the end. But this this, this just ends. It like from beginning to end, it it held me. It held me, had my attention, and that's like I think that's the biggest compliment I can give it. Because nowadays my attention span is so small. It had me from that that hour and forty five minute runtime it has, whatever it is, just over it's, an hour and a half. Yeah, just over, and it's so good. The music, I think, like I'm gonna echo what Brandon said wholeheartedly, is is I think the main character in this movie. The special effects are great. The music is what had me, I think. It, it gripped me for sure. And everyone acts. I think it's one of those 80s, sort of normal 80s trope where everyone's doing the best that they can for the, for an 80s actor. You know, no one's mm. no one's here trying to win Oscars for like 12 years, slave kind of acting here. But everyone's doing the best they can. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's a solid movie. And for, for Kurt Russell, who doesn't actually, if you think about it, doesn't do a lot. You know, he's just there. So he's the quite people... muted in this film. I thought that. You know? Yeah. Sorry. He do... No, no, no. I agree. He doesn't actually do a lot. If you think about it, he makes a few kips. He he has the last line of the movie, which, as Brandon and Brandon said, and Caleb's kind of him talked about a lot. 
has its meanings. It can be interpreted so many different ways. Uh, but overall, as a movie, I think it's it's solid. It's it's a great it's a great watch, and I'd recommend it to anyone. I'd recommend yeah, for it. For sure, I couldn't have said it better myself, mate. So if you I mean, was to score I mean, it, fact, what would you give it? It's like twenty twenty three, and we're all sat here as adults still debating this film, and it's like forty years old. Like, yeah, I think that yeah, well, says a lot about just, it. For, yeah, for definite, yeah. you know. If I were to score it, honestly, I was gonna say I'd get four huskies out of five. If you put it into like the the score of ten, that's a good eight and a half. Eight and a half huskies, I'd give it. Eight and a half huskies. Okay, eight and a half. I gave it a nine. Brandon gave it. Brandon says seven or an eight, so we say seven point five in that sense, right in the middle. And Caleb gave it a seven. So <laughs> interestingly, it's kind of on more mine and your end, Prince. So yeah. user score is 8.6, which is a branded universal acclaim based on 343 user ratings. The meta score, based on 13 critic reviews at the time, is 57 out of 100. That's the Nor- so, that's Norwegians were voting for sure. Yeah, they, yeah, they didn't like their portrayal of someone <laughs> shooting Norway, in the film. Like, nah, you can't we could shoot that. better than this. <laughs> we're best shooters. <laughs> yeah. You know? But no, that's it. That's the thing. You know, great movie. What thing? One of John Carpenter's (laughs) best. (laughs) What thing? Yeah, if this film was made in Birmingham, they'd spell it the and then F I N G. The thing. Thing ate much. Thing ate much. Right, anyway, that's the first one of the year. Uh, We're all back. We're all raring to go. We'll uh, see you next month, guys. You can see us in all the usual places social media, yada, yada, yada. I say this all the time. You don't need to hear it. You know where to find us. Um, yeah, any closing things? Prince, Redbubble, anything going on? Forget my store for a second. I just want to wish everyone a happy new year. For no, um, I think it's a big... Yay. 2024, I, I, see, I see a lot of reels. I don't know if it's a thing or it's a push, but 2024 being a year of like the rediscovery and you know building yourself. So I wish that for all of you guys, honestly. It's it's it's, mm. it's, 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 it's nice that, you know, I talk to you guys a lot on this on this podcast and it's... It's nice that we get to explore these movies a lot, so I, I do appreciate Definitely, it. Definitely, mate. You know, you're the fourth leg of the table, as far as I'm concerned, mate. We won't be able to function without you. So I hope this year brings you lots of uh, joy and lots of girls to Caleb, and you know, lots of joy to. Um, mate, we're not. We're not going to bother that. Lots of wires to to Brandon. You know, that's that's the <laughs> year. But I hope it's a good year for all of you guys. So happy New Year for sure. Yeah, happy New Year, buddy. Yeah, Caleb, Brandon, closing thoughts. Same, no, same, as, same as Prince, man. Yeah. You know, just to be lazy. Was echo. Yeah, what Prince said. Just, you know, just what I said. Yeah, though. what Prince said. Happy New Year. <laughs> nah, I think like, any closing remarks, like, it's good to, you know, it's good to be in the new year doing this again. Um, I really enjoy the time. I really enjoy the podcast. I really enjoyed this specific movie. I do feel like we need to veer away from our childhood movies at some point, Kyle. I still think that sounds mad saying childhood movies when the when the movies we're watching are like visceral psychological horror movies. Like yep. I'm sure that's done a number on us as, as functioning adults in the in the world. Most normal <laughs> kids had Disney as children. We had fucking horror films. <laughs> our Disney princesses were Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger. But now, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, That goes for the lads on the podcast and anyone listening. Hope you have a fantastic year. Hopefully see you again soon. I will see you soon. See you later, guys. Good talking to you. Farewell. 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 I'm going to hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. Storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours. We still have nothing to go on. One other thing, I think it rips through your clothes when it takes you over. 
Windows found some shredded long johns, but the name tag was missing. They could be anybody's. Nobody... Nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired. There's nothing else I can do. Just wait. R.J. McCready, helicopter pilot, U.S. Outpost number 31.